This is the Manips and Sips podcast show, featuring two fellowship-trained, board-certified orthopedic and sports physical therapists. Join us as we talk all things physical therapy, manual therapy, performance, business, education, research, and of course, Sips. I'm ready. Hey everyone, this is the Nips and Sips podcast show featuring me. I'm Dr. Jeremy Boy, my usual partner in crime over there, Dr. Brandon Cruz. Fresh off of our uh, ACL course, we're going to be talking about something that came up during the course of are we progressing our ACLs uh, maybe too fast, too soon, uh, and what uh, detrimental effects that could potentially have, or maybe are we underloading them? So uh, it's left up to debate, but Brandon, how's it going? Going well, man. Uh early podcast for us. So uh, I'm drinking coffee this morning. I think you are as well. Um, yeah, brewery cup though. I got you. Very nice. I know you're doing some mentoring actually away from your site. You're going to uh, a neuro uh, facility to, to teach and, and mentor manual therapy. Oh, look at that. Yeah. London worlds. Oh my God. Would have never, never thought those, uh, those two would happen years ago. Right. Yeah. Um, so kudos to you, but yeah, um, even bigger kudos to you and shout out to Jeremy um, putting together and being the lead instructor on uh, your first course, which is uh, the mother of all uh, ACL courses, Jeremy, you absolutely crushed it. I'm not just saying that because we're friends. I mean, that was a, a phenomenal course for anyone and everyone listening. Um, if you guys see ACLs, if you want to become that go-to provider, uh, this is the course. It is probably the most comprehensive, gives you everything you need to be, blends all worlds from prehab all the way to return to sport and performance afterwards. Um, includes manual therapy. I mean, just really incorporates a lot. Pretty dense weekend. Yeah. Um, so that's a you know, if there's a flaw, that it was just a lot of information, but well put together, well constructed. Um, so off that, you know, obviously one of the main topics there was uh, appropriate timelines and progressions for for ACLs, and we got off on some bunny trails during the course. So we figured we might as well bring it to our audience here on the Manips and Sips podcast. And um, so that's where we are today, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I first created the course, I was like, it's so specialized. Maybe it should just be a one day course. And then like midway through creating, I was like, oh no. I was like, this, this, this has enough content for a three day course at this yeah. point. So yeah. two, uh, two, two is definitely in the sweet spot. By the third one, you'd probably never want to see an ACL again. So we settled on two, but um, yeah, uh, there's definitely, this is a hot topic. Um, mostly, you know, obviously it's because most of the individuals who undergo this are, are sports and active and it's exciting, especially for like general outpatient places where it's like you only get, you know, a active individual once maybe in the blue moon or a couple in the blue moon. So it's exciting to, you know, progress them and do some creative stuff versus the mundane. Um, but I definitely think uh, it's uh, sometimes comes at the cost of the patient. Um, as somebody, I guess we have a, very good reputation and name, um, especially for the return to play component of things. So we get a lot of people that um, that come to us after a couple months. Um, so we, I would say, unfortunately, we've labeled them the sloppy. Se- we don't label it to their faces, but they're sloppy seconds um, in a sense where they, <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, hopefully none of them are listening to this. Nothing against you guys. We love you all the same. Um, But, you know, we do get these individuals that are coming from other places. And, you know, 
they're having tough times and that's what, you know, ultimately, I guess, leads them to us. Uh, and uh, they're just like, oh, well, I got cleared to run a month ago, but I'm still having pain running or I'm doing some agility work and they still don't have the range of motion and their knees still swelling up. So um, very, very frustrating, not only as a clinician, um, but, you know, how frustrating that must be for the, the patient as well. Um, and it's mostly, I would say they're more ego thing or wanting to do some cool stuff. And I don't know, or I don't know what the, the motivations behind it for the clinician, but, uh, I think it's something that needs to be put to rest, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll say this, um, you know, looking back and I, I, you know, had a huge obsession and passion with knees and ACLs, um, dating all the way back to, uh, undergrad, um, I mean, I, I partially tore my ACL as well, so maybe that was it. But, you know, for all you aspiring sports uh, clinicians and everybody wants to get in sports, it's some new buzz and sexy term. You want to deal with athletes and stuff. Um, it's cool because you could do, like, more fun stuff with them, right? And I was the same way. But, you know, as I've evolved in my career, like, that's not where it's at. Um, the importance is that beginning. Yep. You know, like, like you said, those beginning phases, I mean, those are that – you know, that initial time. And if you look, if you think about anything, that's, you know, think of babies, you know, that crucial times, the beginning, right? I mean, like they really have, to, you really have to, you know, make sure you're being detailed in the beginning to make those, those uh, other things fun, but everybody wants to jump to squatting or jumping and, and running and agility stuff. Right. But it's cool and sexy. Like you said, it's, um, I guess a brick from the mundane, but um, that mundane part that's, you know, keep it simple, stupid, you know, we have to hit certain metrics and I'll, I'll segue this or I'll pass this off to you in a second, like getting knee extension, getting that quad firing, making sure Cyclops lesions don't, you know, form. I know it's a, a big, um, hotspot for you mm-hmm. checking regionally, right. Checking the ankle, uh, assessing the back, you know, seeing if there's any other, um, underlying issues that could have caused um, the ACL, uh, an ACL tear, things like that. Like we need to do a better job at zeroing in on these things and stop trying to rush our patients to uh, to squatting. Uh, I mean, you know, we have uh, a bunch of social media accounts that just love exercise and squatting. Um, cool. That's a part of it. It's functional. Yes, we do need weight bearing for joints after surgery. But, you know, like you said, we can't come at a cost. So I'll, I'll pass it off to you on the importance of obtaining these beginning markers um, in our phases of rehab. Yeah. I mean, um, I talk about this over the course, the ACLs, probably the, of all orthopedics is sixth most research thing, I think, uh, from what I saw out there. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's been hundreds, and hundreds, if not maybe thousands yeah, of thousands. articles thousands, yeah. researching the ACL and the, you know, whether it's, you know, Delar Oslo group, Moon group, um, groups in Iran, Russia, I've seen, they come to the same similar metrics of sorts, maybe off by five, 10%, but same things that they, you know, they look at a ton of things and they realize these are the things that the ones that do extremely well have. And these are the things that the ones that retour didn't return to pre-injury levels or competitive levels, they don't have those. So they started, you know, they're, there's trends, there's, you know, there's trends in everything. So, um, it's super, super important. Um, you know, getting symmetrical extension, I think is the big thing, um, of those 
I'll take it back. Uh, today will be the last day. I say sloppy seconds. Uh, I'll put that to rest. But uh, those um, of all those, almost every single one of them don't have it. Um, and especially the hyperextension uh, that is so commonly missed. Um, and you just can't, you can't, I mean, try it, try it, you know, do it while you're listening to the show, try and fire up your quad, but bend your knee about 10 degrees and see how, how tight that feels. You just won't be able to. Um, yeah, I know there's the more mechanical advantages, you know, with within the 45, 90 degrees, but try and try and get a good symmetrical, uh, good, good quad contraction um, at 10 degrees knee bend and see how well you do. And you got to think that's how you, with walking, we typically walk with a more straighter knee. We don't walk with knee bends. Um, so that leads to, you know, a sloppy, sloppy, uh, kind of course of things. You know, I was, I've seen it where it's like, you get it or they may have gotten it once and didn't decide to maintain it they're like oh we got it yeah we got one day of full extension all right let's go ham it's good and enough and yeah. they start to lose it right maybe they still have that passive uh posterior capsule tightness or um you know end range tightness and it's like now nah, we're good enough and then all of a sudden they don't test that water they don't push that uh full extension and then all of a sudden it goes from they had it to this is a little bit more comfortable. This is a little bit. And then you're three weeks out and then you start to, you do your measurements because it's a reevaluation. You're like, shit, where did that extension go? And then you now just lost three weeks of that beautiful window of six to eight weeks. And now you have to, oh, we have to work back on getting extension. I mean, think of how big of a nut shot that is. It's like something you celebrated, you got, because we usually celebrate and we're happy when our patients get full extension. And then you have to go back and get it. That's that's heartbreaking. I would think that's heartbreaking. Yeah. I never had that. How about the therapist? Um, and I, I did this early in my career as well. It's like you you passively crank on them and you get the goniometer and you have someone hold them down. Oh yeah. And, oh yeah, we got to zero. Great, we won. Like, no, you didn't because they don't have that actively. Mm-hmm. Like you had to literally use four hands to to get it to to um, zero and then called it a win mm-hmm. um, when it really wasn't. When they should probably have um you know passive should be into hyperextension and they should be at zero actively um is where they need to be so i I think you know recalibrating our um acceptance level of what zero really is uh, needs to needs to really hone in as therapists and to top off another thing you said i know something i did was younger was like oh what we do is we cranked on i'm like all right i get it i need to get the range of motion quick Great. You're, yeah. you're at least one step ahead of a lot of therapists, but how you go about getting it um, becomes part of the issue. So we can go too hard, too fast on re- gaining range of motion. If you're going in and just going past the range of motion, which I did, it was just straight push down to extension, straight flexion, off you go. Um, how much, the, how aggravating that is to the joint, especially in the earlier stages and how you can cause right. hemarthrosis of the joint. It starts to swell and then you start losing range of motion. I'm like, this doesn't make sense. I'm working harder and getting more range of motion on the table, but they're yeah. losing range of motion. Well, it's because you're going too hard, too fast. You know, what else are you doing to maybe build up a range of motion at a steady pace, like greater exposure? We talk about great exposure and exercises and function. Why not range of motion? Instead mm-hmm. of murdering them, on week one, week two, causing them to blow up the joint, causing them to be psychologically traumatized about any time they get on the table and they're near you. Um, why can't we figure out some strategies to like, all right, here's 10 degrees, here's 10 degrees, here's 10 degrees, and the joint's not blowing up. So I see that a lot. It's like, yeah, they crushed my knee like 
the first couple of weeks and then they stop touching me and now they come in and they only have 80% of their range total. So um, that's something that, you know, I, I know I used to do it. It was just like, all right, I got to get range of motion. Let's, let's blow this sucker up. But, well, I didn't think that. <laughs> um, no, something you said during the course, which really resonated um, with me or, or stood out um, is uh, you're right now you're talking about extension, but same thing with flexion and putting people on the bike too soon and thinking the bike is going to get them that flexion. Um, and again, you're pushing that too hard. You're going to cause hemiarthrosis of the joint. Uh, it's going to cause us to swallow. That joint's going to piss off. They probably are compensating at the lumbopelvic region, kind of hip hiking to get that, that knee joint. Um, you know, doing, you know, half revolutions or quarter revolutions is one thing. Um, but, um, you know, not forcing that full revolution early on. And you mentioned doing a, uh, like an active assistive on the rower, which is great. So you kind of, it's like the flexionator, but you don't have to spend however much crappy money there is on a flexionator, right? Using a, a, a C2 erg, put the one foot in and use the other foot to allow them to straighten and, and bend the knee. So I think that's, that was just something that really um, stood out to my mind. Cause I think too quickly, and I've, I'm, I've done it, you know, you, we put them on the bike and um, you know, we think, Oh yeah, we're just cranking. Um, you know, into flexion and it's safe and it's okay. They need it, but um, making sure they have, you know, probably 95 or a hundred degrees passive range of motion first and not just eh, 90 close enough can get you on there because yeah. you probably need a little bit more. Um, and I think reverse, you know, doing reverse pedaling versus forward pedaling is a, a, a way to regress that as well. Yeah. Um, and slowly grade that, that patient on um, into going forward. Uh, so that was just something that stood out to me. Yeah, I mean, I know I used to, I mean, I always take videos of it and that sort of stuff for first revolution on the bike. And that, again, another exciting moment in physical therapy. Um, but again, it, it came at a cost of a couple people, especially when you like, especially if you're in places where you see a lot of them and they start to see other people on the bike and then they wonder why they can't and then they muscle through it. And then again, they blow up their knee in a sense. Um, you know, really say like what's safe and that sort of extension is, very, 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 I don't think I've ever had too many negative consequences for trying to get, you know, extension base at, but flexion, whether you're, you know, especially when you're thinking of how the, the, the ACL winds up and more flexion, that sort of stuff, you know, the more you bend it, it's more, it's going to be a little more taut and that sort of stuff. So that's why it can maybe cause some swelling by extension. You're, you're pretty safe. Yeah. Um, so it's something to consider. Um, as you know, I always tell people, uh, if you can get the extension, you know, that your journey just became so much, much, oh, much easier. Yeah. You may have some tightness and deflection uh, may have to bite the bullet like one session. Um, but you know, you know, just get that extension and then the flexion will come again, unless, unless the graft is put in a, in a bad way or you didn't try for two straight months and. It's like yeah. month three and you're like, oh, let's try and get your knee to bend. That's, that'd probably be an issue, but, um, you know, extension, you can go to town to a degree, but, you know, see what your patient's doing and everything like that. So unless you get someone again, who comes in 20 degrees yeah, right off the bat, loss of extension, that's going to be a little, a little bit of a tougher journey. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Let's, um, let's transition to, uh, your, uh, much, uh, passionate topic. You have Cyclops lesions. Yes. So yeah, let's get revved up uh, this early in the morning. Uh, yeah. 
Um, so I was listening to a podcast. Should I mention the podcast or no? no I don't think we need to mention podcast or names. names. Mention other people's viewpoints. Yeah, you know, which so, everyone's entitled to their viewpoint. Um, so some people believe that Cyclops illusions are just kind of part of the process. Um, that is just like you know, you you know, it's a coin flip. You get it, you don't get it. Um, I full wholeheartedly, completely. I really disagree with that concept. I've uh, been with doing ACLs since I've been in PT school. Haven't had any cyclops lesions. Um, have had had any needs for second procedures, which is awesome. Um, and that's mostly because of what we do in the earlier stages. Uh, if you look at cyclops lesions and in individuals who have them on MRIs, only ten percent of them are truly symptomatic. So a lot of people have them, but doesn't bother them, limit them, limit their range of motion um there's studies of individuals you know if you can get the range if you don't get the range of motion within three weeks it starts to spike up to like two or three percent chance of getting a cyclops lesion a symptomatic cyclops lesion mm-hmm. if you don't get it after six weeks it jumps up to eight percent now what the studies or the percentages are afterwards so yeah i don't believe these are these are just something you're you just randomly draw a card of cyclops lesion and you're screwed with it I think it's, uh, I don't want to say negligence on the therapist, but, um, you know, it's, you know, poor care to start off the rehab. Um, you're not getting that full extension. So I, I think it should be, I guess, rephrased or renamed into like lack of extension syndrome or something like that, causing anterior knee pain. I don't know if it's like, Oh, we want, we should want to truly blame the cyclops lesion. Um, and like they go in and let's say they have it symptomatic and they go and they clean it out. And then what do they do is say, they put you through aggressive rehab. So it's like they put you through five days of rehab afterwards, from my understanding. And then you're forced to get extension. They'll put you in a knee immobilizer and everything like that. So I start to even question, like, is it the second surgery that fixes these? Or is it the aggressive rehab and forcing the individual to, you know, hyperextension? So um, if you're dealing with cyclops lesions and that sort of stuff, you're probably going this, this this episode's for you. You're probably going too hard, too quick on some other things. Mm-hmm. You're really hammered down getting full extension early yeah, on. And if you're like, I have all my strategies, they're not working or anything like that. Then, you know, humble plug. Um, I highly recommend that you take this course. <laughs> um, yeah. When we, we next time, uh, that's the only time I ever give a humble plug there. So, but again, um, yeah, I really think these, I think the MUAs, Need, don't need to happen uh secondary arthroscopic procedures i think that's all you know uh, if that's the case that's on the therapist unless yeah. you really have a butcher of a surgeon uh, well good i was just gonna say I, I won't put it all on therapists yeah i mean yeah probably a large yes. portion of it because because and, and we talked about this during the course too um yeah we think most of you know the high retail rates you know we're looking at 40 to 60 percent of retail rates um, probably comes down to us as, as PTs, but what else goes into that? Is it, can we get the patient for prehab, right? That, you, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about, um, that being a big factor because now we can educate the patient as well. So being able to educate the patient, um, are we educating the patient enough and frequently? So they understand like, this is a big deal. We need to really focus, um, hard and often in the beginning, uh, do we get patients early enough after surgery? Sometimes we don't get the patient one, two weeks after two and a half weeks after surgery. Like that's probably I'm a surgeon. 
right? Like, why aren't you sending your, your patient to PT the latest a week after surgery? You know, I can understand maybe, you know, you want to give it a day or two, but they should be in PT right away. Um, you know, so that's not necessarily onto us, but also when we get those patients that are two weeks behind coming to therapy, do we have the knowledge and skill set to understand what we need to go and do to prevent it? Like you're saying, yeah. So I, I just want to say that, like, you know, we, we, we are hard on ourselves as we should be, mm-hmm. uh, as therapists, but also understanding there, there are other variables yeah. as well. And I would say those definitely set the road nicer. And again, mm-hmm. kind of like. I'd say maybe half of our clients come in with prehab. The other half are this wide variety of anywhere from week one to five, six weeks out. Um, And definitely they're more of a struggle um, when they're that far out, but there's still a chance for them. And that's, that's the thing. I just tell them, it's like, this is going to be a little bit more uncomfortable road. I don't like to put a nocebo mentality, but when you see so many times and you see how it's tougher and, start playing with their joints and that sort of stuff and it's, you know instead of it being you know nice and easy to push down it's firm and it's, they're uncomfortable they're changing their their body doesn't even know where their knee is um and now got some soft tissue um you know contractions of sorts but even those like we're able to work with it um it's just i'll tell them i'm like hey we, we're getting you at week five we're getting at week six our window is now minimal uh yeah. we have to go we have to go we have to go harder um and that's if this is too much for you i completely understand um but you know we're gonna do everything in our power it's you know the patient also has to take some accountability as well some of the ones that don't come in are sometimes the patients we've had a couple of people being around colleges and that sort of stuff they get the surgery in the summer and then they're moving in they got a lot going on it's you know first week it's party week yay um and then they don't show up for therapy for two weeks to start off and they lost that window so a lot of it's on the patient as well mm-hmm. um i always again i always what i was talking about in the course it's you know, patients need to be ready for surgery and they express that and they understand it's essentially a full-time job um okay. if they, especially if they want to return to sport if you don't want to return to sport maybe it's not a full-time job you do your therapy three times a week and do some stuff at home but if you want to return to sport especially at the high level it needs to be a full-time job you need to be going to therapy you know multiple times per week you know, preventing any potential um secondary issues um and then you'd be working out at home and that sort of stuff so that's it too is like you know making sure the patient's on board and understands the expectations of them as well so if they're going out and you do all the great extension stuff as you want and then as soon as they walk outside the door, you see them walk away. They're starting to go with that bent knee. And then they come in the next day and they're like lost 10 degrees of extension. You know, I need to make sure they know, listen, we need to improve the way you walk. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about, you know, we were talking about paying attention to the the beginning details and, and timeline, but you know, there's just, understanding that um, we need to just not rush the whole process. Right. And, you know, we talked about how Adrian Peterson set the bar too high. I think that was a quote from him that you had mentioned. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for a while it was accelerated programs, right. Even for most post-ops accelerated programs for ACL, for shoulder surgery, things like that. And now, you know, research and and they're starting to realize and, and surgeons are realizing and, and probably why they're delaying PT um, is, 
you know, they're understanding like the body still needs to heal. And when we're talking about specifically the ACL, right, that we need that area needs to re-ligamentize. Is that if I'm saying that correctly there? Uh re-ligamentization is the correct there term. Um for for you know a graft. So and that takes one and a half to two years. I mean, you look at any any high level athlete, they may return at the nine or 10, 12 month mark. Um, but they all say they don't feel normal until a year and a half to two years out where they really start to get that explosiveness back. Um, so we need to be able to educate our patients on the timeline that this is going to be. And I just had an eval yesterday um, and the dad's like, oh, we need to get back by uh, September. I was like, yeah, uh, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, what's that? Seven months. Is that is my math right? What, or eight months, whatever it was. Yeah. I was like, March, it's, it's April pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I was like, you know, these stats go up significantly if we try and bring an athlete, especially a female, back before nine months. Mm-hmm. I was like, so, yeah, we can bring her back and she'll be back. But do you want to go through this again or potentially go through this again um, in a year or two? And I'm not trying to fear monger, mm-hmm. but your daughter's a freshman. She has a shot at playing D1 ball. Well, let's do this right the first time and not rush her back. Let's just get her back for next season, next spring, and we'll be good to go. By the fall, yeah, she'll be running and cutting and being able to do that stuff. I necessarily wouldn't, you know, put her out in the field, especially as a middle infielder where you're, you know, cutting and juking a lot more, uh, more abrupt stops around the bases. You're in cleats, which is an uneven surface as well. Your your cleat can get stuck around the bag, in a bag, sliding. Um, you know, some of the fields aren't always the best, especially now you have turf fields that are out there. Um, so, you know, let's just do this right. So educating that patient. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that goes on us too. We, we try and oversell ourselves. Oh yeah. We'll get them back fast. We're really good with ACLs. Right. We want to educate the patient that we're, we're their best provider for them. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it, you know, being the best provider for them is telling them, Hey, um, we need to not rush this. I'm not going to guarantee you that your kid's coming back in six to nine months. Um, they'll be moving around. They'll be running and stuff. They're just not ready to go back to sport. Yeah. If we want to do this the right way. Yeah. So I, I think we have that. And I think that leads to the beginning part, you know, of us ramping through and blowing past that knee extension because we want to have that accelerated program and mm-hmm. get them back in nine months. Because it's exciting. And the parent, I mean, every time we we do something where it's somewhat related to sports, some of the thing advanced, the that's when the, the, the parents' cell phones are like they start they start doing it. They don't care about anything I did the last you know two months on the table, whatever it may be. Like you don't get much pictures of that. Maybe every once in a while, how much knee flexion they have. I'm like, you should really take pictures of the extension, but that, that's fine. You you do you. Um, but you know, I think that's again, it's like you said it so yourself. It's like a almost like a sales pitch. It's like, oh yeah, we're getting back into this sort of stuff. They won't even know in three months. Um, I almost think the accelerated protocols and programs. Now I think of like research and all that sort of stuff was ulterior motives for like you know, groups to say that, you know, okay, yeah, this group next to us, they take a year, we're doing it in, you know, six to nine months. Uh, yeah. It's like the, um, the quad sparing uh, tonal knee replacement. I mean, mm-hmm. the, quad, the, the quads have been spared for ages. Um, you know, that they don't go through the quads, they uh, deflect the quad with the patella, but they've been doing that for ages, but uh, groups around us were started to name it quad sparing and actually had worse outcomes than the traditional mm-hmm. uh, because they couldn't see the lateral aspect of the, uh, of the, of the knee. Um, so I think that if I look at it, I'm like, maybe that's what it was. It was like almost like a sales pitch 
um, kind of got people in and it wasn't until, you know, unfortunately not as many people know to go up and be like, all right, what are your outcomes? What, how many of your athletes return to sport? How many go to pre-injury up to like, especially surgical um, PT groups, whatever it may be. Um, and maybe if we start asking more of that, you know, we'll start finding the providers that really get the job done. Yeah. And a lot of it is, you know, obviously you need a good surgery, you need someone on board and that requires education to get the patient on board from day one. Um, and then, you know, good quality therapy. And then what you said is like looking at it from a regional standpoint, I mean, especially when they're on the table and they can't do that much, that's your opportunity to set the tone for so many things. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you're, I'm looking 10 steps ahead. Yes. I need to do extension, but, um, you know, if they don't have that full ankle dorsiflexion, that's going to cause some issues when I get into jumping, running, cutting. So I'm yeah. going to do that while, you know, they have a capacity to maybe lift their leg 10 times and then they're wiped out for 20 minutes. Oh, I'm going to work on some other things. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Think of it, um, think of the whole picture. I'm actually working on, uh, something, uh, kind of in general for the clinic, but, um, now you know i'm going to even make this specific for acls like we're especially we're transitioning to a digital world we have all this technology and everybody's you know all wants apps and things um you know making pre-record a video of the appropriate timelines you know it doesn't have to be super long it doesn't have to be super scientific but that's something that they can you know and as therapists we all kind of hate after a while repeating ourselves and stuff like that hey you're here icing for 10 minutes watch this video and you give it to them it's a link they pull up on their phone everyone's on their phone anyway on ice and they watch it right make them watch it every session or once a week Mm. or you know email it to their parents like other ways you know let's use technology for other ways to educate our patients um one is going to save us time um and two the patient can go back and and listen at any time Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's something I'm, I'm toying around with. Um, I don't know if you have any other suggestions, uh, that you like to do with your patients, um, as well, utilizing, you know, technology. I know you like your gadgets. So, yeah, I mean, we have definitely a lot of gadgets, um, you know, whether it's EMR or not EMR. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that too. yeah, I guess we do. Um, which helps facilitate things, but, uh, you know, BFR and all those sort of things. And they're great. Um, they're obviously adjunctive to everything that we have to do. Um, but yeah, I think that's a great idea. We have like some prehab stuff where it's like, here's, here's a list of exercises. We'll take a look at you. Here's the ones based off of your current limitations that you should probably really focus on. Um, Cause I always say there's some people who they can really strain their knee and suck at bending. People can bend their knee and suck at straining, suck at both, you know, their programs are all going to be different. Um, I know some of the generic apps, uh, there's some even ones for ACLs and that sort of stuff. It's generic. Like it's, here's a program for your first week, second week, but it's not specific to the patient. They're spending time, you know, doing, doing straightening and then bending exercises and that bending's cooking, like causing a loss of their extension. Well, I need to be able to evolve and switch that. So I think always having some of the contact and have you un- understand where that, what they're doing at that time is, is super beneficial, but yeah, uh, you know, I love the idea of phases. I'll write up battle plans and um, I'll give sheets out of like laying out the first couple of weeks of what they should do, best strategies. I give one to the athlete, knowing that's probably gone and one to the parents. Um, try to text them as well, like, or email it to them. So they have an electronic copy. I mean, it's printed out. 
Yeah. Um, and I'll write any little recommendation specifically. I'll just, here it is. And then this is what I want you to do or highlight specific things. I'm like, this is for you. Um, I think that's always a good idea, especially if you can get the parents on board. Cause again, yeah. there's so much going on with them. Uh, even the prehab when they're maybe not in too much pain, just it's a shock to the system. You know, they have to prepare for this surgery, especially if it's high school, they know five, 10, 20 people have gone through this. It's a long road. Their minds in a million different places. Uh, plus that and the classic ADD of most kids, um, you know, so you get the parents on board, they can help out. Um, and then they can always just reach out to us whenever they need to. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. Any, anything else? I think uh, kind of sums up the importance for today, today's topic. I mean, we yeah. kind of go back um and continue going and we had a two-day course that we're, we're talking about this in you know 30 40 minutes so obviously yeah. a lot of detail but uh i, I think the big thing is, is we need to, to stop rushing this um understand the, the natural healing process and phase that need to go on and not try to skipping ahead mm-hmm. uh, to do you know the more fun stuff and, and last thing actually you were talking about you know your, the gadgets right the gadgets are always fun and, and pts are, are the worst at this we love the new uh shiny object yeah syndrome and you mentioned uh you know things like um you know bfr or um you know hop test um measurements and things like that that test rsi and and things like that like like you said those are just adjuncts and i think as pts we get uh we think they're replacements mm-hmm. um so that can bias us as well like there's nothing that's gonna um replace a, a keen eye and experience like we can try and make apps with algorithms that are going to hedge our bets but you know, the people are going to fall through the cracks on that. We need to be able to really still utilize our clinical decision-making and rationale mm-hmm. and use these, the use technology as an asset to enhance what we're doing, not replace what we're doing. Um, you know, I, I just don't see artificial intelligence, intelligence replacing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. It can only help what we're doing. Especially from a psychology standpoint, I just don't see any AIs being able to recognize when a person's checked out or emotionally traumatized and be able to cater your therapy to that. I think, um, you know, we need to know our worth in the whole grand scheme of things or kind of know our place. Yes, I'd love to see the ACL from prehab or ideally I like to do like prevention stuff with teams, but prehab all the way through the whole thing to going out and seeing them play their sport. Uh, But I know you know, in these timelines where most of my worth is, is during those earlier stages, I can find an amazing performance coach to do probably better than what I can do in regards to exercise prescription, because that's what they do all day. Um, you know, strength training, even performance metrics. I just hung out with a, um, a bunch of sports uh, performance coaches in baseball, CJ, uh, shout out to him. Uh, and I thought I knew metrics of things they're blowing my mind with that sort of stuff. So you can find someone, it'll probably be more economical. Let's face it. We're a little bit more expensive than, you know, going to a a personal trainer or coach and that sort of stuff, but nobody's going to be able to implement those hands-on manual therapy, uh, psychology benefits. I mean, they can get a sports psychologist too. I've been known to implement that or have that as part of the team, but knowing where you can get, add the most value to this whole long journey it's probably in very earlier stages and understanding maybe those return to sport uh, metrics as well. Um, ideally, we see them through and through, but 
um, you know, let's invest early on and get them, get the ball rolling early. Yeah. Yeah. Great points. All good stuff, man. Awesome. Um, yeah. I think that's it for today. Unless you got any other words of wisdom, Jay, mm. this, is, uh, this is your, your wheelhouse, my man. Yeah. So I know it's all, all good, you know, all high level. We all have really good outcomes because we all think like this. Um, and we're just trying to improve this, you know, prove, you know, better than 55%, 60%. Hopefully we can get into the nineties for this, uh, this procedure. I mean, yep. invest the nine months and year of your life into something. You hopefully you can come out with a uh, better outcomes, but, uh, yeah, hopefully you tune in. I'm sure a lot more episodes can come from this weekend. Um, but figure that that's probably a good way to start off. So take your time. It's a long journey and just make sure you get the earlier stages in. Yeah. And, and sign up for the course. Um, DM us if you have questions. We've all that was supposed to be the only time we run this, but we are getting some uh, uh, a lot of DMs asking if we're going to do it again this year. So uh, if we get enough of uh, enough of you guys to uh, request it, we'll try and squeeze it in on the second half of the year. If not, we're going to have to wait till 2023. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, hopefully if anybody wants it, you know, even outside, me and Brandon do love the travel. So maybe even outside, maybe yeah, we'll come we'll to your private clinic. course. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Hopefully we can make this happen a second time. It was a blast the first time and uh, yeah, let's get those ACL outcomes 10 times better. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Nips and Sips. If you liked what you listened to, please follow and subscribe to us on all major social media and podcast platforms. Please rate us on Apple Podcasts if you enjoyed the show. Interested in one of our courses? Go to www.iosmt.com. Interested in business and private practice mentorship and advice? visit us at therehabcoaches.com. As always, feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions or recommendations, whether that be clinical or SIPs. At Manips and SIPs, at The Decent Doctor, and at Think Like a Fellow. Thanks for tuning in, and cheers, everyone.